Let's imagine there's a parallel universe that's exactly like ours and has the same history as ours, in which there's another me who is recording a podcast right now. He is in fact speaking these very words right now. Why is he doing exactly the same thing as me? At this moment, the very same neurons that are firing in my brain are firing in his. His optic and nervous systems are processing the same stimuli as mine. He has exactly all the same physical properties down to the very last atom as I do. What I'm getting at is that to an outside observer, these two universes are indistinguishable. But now let's imagine that the other universe is a zombie universe, where my twin looks and acts as I do. He says blue is his favorite color. If you ask him, laughs at the same jokes, says ouch when you poke him in the eye. Except he's not a conscious being. He has no inner life or sense of self. We can definitely imagine this world, but it now seems very different from our world. Where、well, I'm conscious and I do have an inner life, but if that's true, it means that our consciousness is an extra thing on top of our physical world. It's something that exists in our world, but not in a zombie one. The zombie world sounds at first like it's identical to our own, but it's not. Or is it? Maybe we'll find out on today's show. Hey everyone, welcome to You've Got It All Wrong, a philosophy podcast for handsome people like you. I'm Paco Allen. I'm Mark Sanders, and I'm Chad Allen. Today we're talking about the mind-body problem. Which is essentially a debate about how the brain and consciousness, or the brain and the mind, are related. This discussion goes all the way back to Plato and Aristotle, but our modern understanding of the problem comes from Descartes' Meditations on First Philosophy, which he wrote in 1649. Descartes famously advocated for dualism, or the notion that the world is made up of both physical and non-physical stuff. In addition to the physical brains and bodies, he argued, we also have minds. Which are not physical. We usually describe these minds using words like consciousness or inner life or thoughts. But we've learned a lot about the world since 1649. Specifically, we've learned a lot about the brain, how different parts of the brain account for different kinds of emotions or cognitive abilities, how damage to different parts of the brain can change people in specific ways, and more generally, that the brain can be readily understood. As a physical thing that is fully explained by the laws of physics, chemistry, and biology. So that brings us back to the zombie world that Mark talked about. How do we explain the difference between our world and the zombie world? The zombies in the zombie world have the same physical brains that we have. Does our world also have something the zombie world doesn't? If so, what the hell is it? What do you guys think? Well, so my first question about the zombie world. I mean, I think it's an interesting thought experiment. But my first question about the zombie world is basically, you know, it's a hypothetical world where these、uh, mirror identical zombies. You know, it's like Bizarro Superman world. Yeah, don't where, say Mark's name backwards. <clears throat> right, that's Mixelplex. <laughs>、um, I mean, Mark or Cram. Mark's name backward isn't Mixelplex, <laughs> but the Superman villain you're referring to is Mixelplex,、yeah. not Bizarro Superman. So, anyways.、Um, We've got these identical mirror versions, zombie versions of ourselves in this zombie world, and they do everything that we do down to like the atomic level, except for they don't have a consciousness. That's the hypothetical that we're talking about, but it presupposes this idea that 
they can have the same molecular structure as us down to the atom and not have a consciousness. Right. Uh, so like one question is, what if that's not possible? That hypothetical kind of like goes out the window. Well, but that's kind of the whole point of a thought experiment is that I'm pretty sure that you can imagine that world. Can't you imagine looking at that world yeah. from the outside and, and saying, well, this physical like chemical reaction in Mark's brain caused him to say that his favorite color was blue and this physical chemical reaction in his brain caused him to say, ouch, when you poked him in the eye, like seems like a pretty straightforward and easy thing to conceptualize. Yeah, no, I like I can imagine it, but. I mean, I guess I, like I'm starting with the assumption, right, that the physical aspects of my brain are what accounts for my consciousness. Right. And, and so that anything that has the same physical properties of you also has is to gonna have manifest consciousness. A con is going to manifest a consciousness. I feel like that thought experiment kind of just assumes assumes that the physical brain doesn't manifest what we're calling the mind or consciousness. It's like if you were to able to um, uh, build a, uh, a robot using biological components that could reproduce all of the aspects of the, the human mind, would that also be I conscious? I mean, yeah, from the perspective of somebody who says that like the mind or consciousness like comes from the brain and it's all the physical world, it's the same as like imagine a world where everything's identical to our universe except for the sun doesn't produce heat. And it's like, well... Uh, imagine that the sun in that world is exactly like our sun down to the atomic level, except it doesn't produce heat. Right. But that's so there's this idea that there's a difference between the physical world that is observable by everyone and is the same. We all observe the same phenomena in that physical world. So wherever you go, whatever scientist you talk to, whoever you talk to you're going to discover that the atoms in the sun or like whatever, like whatever the sun is made up of. It's made of atoms. It, <laughs> I was trying to come up with something that sounded a little more sophisticated than that. Wait, the sun is made of atoms? The sun, um, is, the sun is made of baryonic particles, <laughs> which is basically a definition of any particle that isn't considered uh, dark matter, which I learned just today. So I thought I'd use the term baryonic. <laughs> so the the point is that like... That is an observable phenomenon. The fact that these atomic and molecular structures produce heat is something that we can all sort of equally observe and agree upon. Like anyone anywhere using any instruments is going to get the same information back about the sun. That's different from your private experience of your inner life or your mind or your consciousness, which is not readily observable or observable at all by people other than you. You can just observe the proxy effects from the physical world, either at a macro Newtonian level or even at, a, I guess, a quantum level. Right. But you're only able to look at that and make assumptions based on this otherwise unknowable uh, uh, concept. Right. So I think that I think it's not the same. Like it's saying that it's uh, sort of a priori true that a certain brain state gives rise to a certain mental state is not the same as saying that a certain state of atoms in the sun gives rise to heat or other physical phenomena. But I think there are, there are scientists who argue that it is that like if that that we will actually get to a point in the not too distant Kurzweilian future where I can replicate exact the exact physical actions that are happening in your mind like down to an atomic level in a computer model 
and yeah. it will give rise mm-hmm. to a duplicate consciousness, like a duplicate Chad Allen yeah, consciousness. Right. Like, like he had a famous graph where he said for the, 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 the processing power of $1,000 worth of personal computing power um, at, at these years uh, moving forward in the future on this graph, that at the moment $1,000 worth of personal computing uh, retail power has the same complexity uh, that you could reproduce a model in insect brain. And then he kind of just uh, extrapolated Talking about Ray Kurzweil. Ray right? Kurzweil, yes. Yeah. I, I all, all handsome people. <laughs> oh, sorry. Ray, Raymond Kurzweil. <laughs> oh, yes. I mean, handsome people are on a first name basis with him. I just call him Ray. Do- Dr. Kurzweil. <laughs> so, but I mean, that's kind of like, um, but that you know, that's sort of like what's referred to as property dualism, I think. I mean, one, one way to interpret what you're saying is property dualism, which is to say that this physical substance your brain for example and the the atoms therein give rise to two kinds of properties physical properties right like when one chemical reaction takes place in one part of your brain that by the laws of physics gives rise to another chemical reaction and those are physical properties of the atomic structure of your brain but those those atomic structures also give rise to another kind of property, a mental property, which is distinct from the physical property, but is causally related to those underlying physical substances in the same way that the physical phenomena caused by those substances is, are. Sorry, I got lost in that sentence. It was a long <laughs> one. <laughs> uh so I guess the question is, do you think that – because there, I guess the other path you could take, the other way I could interpret what you're saying is there is there is no such thing as a mental state. There's just physical stuff. And this whole idea that there are, are mental states or like an inner life, like that's all just sort of like a way of talking that ultimately doesn't really make any sense because there's just one kind of thing in the world, the kind of thing that science tells us about physical stuff this is called physicalism these days uh this is what this is hot this is what Searle um described as the um the legacy of our 17th century language right. regarding the, yeah. the the way we that we refer to these things in the same way that every every uh generation has tried to liken uh the human brain to whatever the prevailing technology was at the time when we were all about steam engines the brain was a great steam engine and now we think about the brain as a computer because that's our prevailing model we have of describing how complex systems work like this well unless you're me in which case the prevailing uh view is uh of seeing the world through the zombie lens and trying to understand yes. everything as being about zombies a spinoff of amc's the walking dead right this <laughs> <laughs> i mean the walking dead is really you may not have known this but the walking dead is really about the mind body problem Ooh. Interesting. Yeah, <laughs> maybe that watching. Was, maybe it was in the last season because I quit watching after season. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so let, let me let me throw out one one other um, uh, anecdote that I, I heard recently, um, and uh, in, just in the context of the of, of what is going on in a zombie mind versus what's going on in a human mind. And I, I found this was was fascinating. Um, a, a a doctor was um, brought in as an expert witness. 
uh, in, a, in a court case because the defendant was claiming that uh, he had a malignant growth in his brain that was causing him to perform these actions which were in effect criminal. Like he killed this person because he had this he had this tumor that was pressing on his brain, this this natural organic um, growth in his brain that was causing him to do these bad things, and they was changing his 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 uh, cognition, his consciousness. Uh, but the doctor said, like, how is that different from saying that anything organic in his brain was causing him to do anything, because it was all just the presence of physical matter that was causing actions to be taken based on his current situation. Uh, I feel like one. You've been eavesdropping in on my text messages with my brother and my dad <laughs> because we like had this exact same conversation over over text this weekend. But also like I feel like all these topics they cross over with other topics and I I'm not sure like how does that what specific aspect of that kind of anecdote relates to dualism versus determinism because like a big part of that conversation starts to drift into determinism. If you believe that the brain tumor is a possible explanation for your behavior, then that at the very least negates this idea of pure dualism, which is that you, Mark, have a mind and you, Mark, have a body. And the mind is this thing that's completely separate from the body. It's a totally different type of stuff. But the mind stuff can influence the body stuff. Right. And this is, you know, famously Descartes thought that like the pituitary gland was like the place at which the mind was able to exert influence over the physical body. So at the very least, this idea that a brain tumor could affect your behavior or your perception of the world does away with this idea that brain and mind are two completely different things and that your mind sort of exists in this separate realm or this is like thing that like influences their, your physical body but is not the same as your physical body yeah i mean do you th- i mean like how many people in today's modern world like don't feel that there is a innate connection even if you believe in dualism and say that there's a thing that's the mind and a thing that's the brain and one of those things is completely physical and one of those things is something else ethereal like I, there, I mean, how many people are left that think that those two things are related? I, I, like, oh, a lot. Like, yeah, I, I think like, so. Yeah, but like, how many people would? If that's the case, then you could say like, all right, I will remove your brain from your physical body, but there and there's a chance that your mind will still. Exist. Well, yeah, that's called the afterlife, and yeah. a lot of people believe in that. <laughs> and if, frankly, it's a really strong intuition. Like you have this idea that you can imagine yourself persisting without your physical body right and that's like the fundamental if my brain was completely replicated like down to like a near atomic level in a computer i can imagine that well independent of your brain. no you can't are you saying to me you can't imagine i'm not saying that this that it's true but are you saying that you can't imagine surviving your physical body I mean, I guess it depends on what you be. Like, I can imagine all kinds of shit that i don't think is like real or possible <laughs> right yeah so yeah, can, oh, yeah, like so. Can yes, you imagine can, it? Yeah, I can imagine it. Okay, I can imagine it also so, not being real. <laughs> okay, but so if you can imagine it, why is it not the case? Because, well, because, well, personally, I believe that like your the your quote unquote mind or consciousness is a physical thing. But so I, I mean, I actually think that doesn't make any sense because you're basically just saying that like a certain configuration of atoms in your brain means happiness yeah 
And I think that that is a, I just think that that's not, doesn't square with our experience of the world at all, which is that I don't know anything about my brain state and I can imagine being happy like without any of that stuff, like without any, I could imagine being happy even if I didn't have a brain. That's the whole point. Like I can imagine what happiness is like without Ha- like knowing anything about brains or even having brains. And I think Star Trek did several episodes in the classic series on exactly this topic, right? Uh, it, it's, Chad's, it's, no, it's so not, for, for Chad's example, for, Chad's I w- forbade. I will entertain <laughs> the Star Trek analogies. Please but no, proceed. But no Matrix. No Matrix <laughs> analogies. Although that is the I know. perfect I, movie I know. analogy for I, this episode. I, I would I would also um, go beyond the analogy of the concept that people can conceive of their mind existing independently of their body in the terms of a soul or an afterlife um, because it's something that humans have considered to be a, uh, a way to understand their, their world around them and their species as a whole for hundreds and thousands of years. I'd also say that there's, in the topic of the separation between... Um, uh, self and uh, and body, people believe that their thoughts can influence things outside of them, and outside forces can influence their thoughts independently of their physical reality. Hence, the the blockbuster bestseller hit The Secret, psychokinesis, telepathy, but also the fact that um this the the secret the book I can't remember the author's name is based, that's okay <laughs> based on the fact that you know all throughout history you know the greatest rulers the greatest um uh, and richest and most powerful individuals uh, in the world have believed in the fact that if you think good thoughts they will manifest themselves in in the real world that, that there is not a a physical continuum a connection between the good thoughts you feel independent of your body and them manifesting in some way in the physical world and that's a belief that is strongly held today Magical thinking, I believe, is often referred to right. disparagingly, <laughs> and probably most accurately. <laughs> so, I think, like all things, philosophy. So much of this comes down to language and everybody's understanding of specific words. And there's the possibility that two people are sitting across the table from each other arguing about a, a topic like this, and part of the argument stems from people's different impressions or intuition about what specific words mean. You know, so I, I feel like a little bit of that that is happening, you know, in this conversation, but let's go back in time and imagine the first single-celled organism on Earth, the first life on Earth. On our Earth or the on, zombie Earth? On, fuck, man. <laughs> like, let's start with ours. Okay. Um, does that single-celled organism have consciousness or a mind or is it purely physical purely physical okay so at what point between that organism and us did consciousness emerge and like where did this non-physical ethereal thing that is not completely explained by biology and physics emerge well that's and, why and come into yeah. like well, that's why property dualism is your way out of this conundrum because what it says is that physical things have two kinds of properties. The things that we traditionally think of as physical properties, so like height and weight and shape and density, but those physical things also have mental properties. But those mental properties don't really manifest themselves until you get to some sufficient level of complexity. So, you know, is a single cell bacteria have 
mental properties? Probably not. But your cat and your dog probably do. Like we talk about them being happy and sad okay. and excited. But let's and not. go like further down the complexity, yeah, uh, like on the organism level. Like a lot of different things can sense pain or sense right. injury, like detect injury, right? Like when I put my hand on the stove or when I burn myself, like the sensation that my brain conjures up as pain is an abstracted mechanical me- like it's yeah. an abstracted mechanical sensation that is that exists to indicate to my organic body that that thing is causing physical damage and that I shouldn't do it anymore it's an interpretation of the physical world it's not that's not what fire the the existence of fire feels like it's yeah, and, exactly. Right? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. There's like fire and like what it, how you can describe it in terms right. of its physical properties. So but you're also describing imagine like it, imagine your it, experience of it. But imagine, imagine, imagine any any organism that exists that you don't think has consciousness. Yeah, can also sense pain or detect injury, right? Like an ant doesn't is an ant conscious? I'm gonna say no. Okay, so. If you injure an ant, it knows it's been injured and it behaves accordingly. It sent, would you say an ant can sense pain or sense injury? Yes. So then like, what's the difference between an ant sensing pain and injury and us sensing pain and injury? And then what's the difference between me sensing pain and me sensing love or joy? I'm going to say that it's because an ant never thinks to itself, man, that hurt. I'm not doing it anymore. Forget it. <laughs> But, yeah, I, but I do have, out. But I do have superhuman, super ant strength based yeah, on my size. Amazing, man. Right? Who isn't looking forward to Ant Man coming this summer <laughs> from Marvel Studios? I am not looking forward to it. So, so can I can I put the 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 topic out there? Since you brought up evolution as a a, a driving factor, there is a belief that our sense of self, our sense of consciousness, is a side effect of other evolutionary factors that have caused the fact yeah. that we've moved to a certain level of complexity and we've reached a tipping point where that, that level of complexity has created a number of, of evolutionary beneficial characteristics in the way that our brain is constructed of which the uh, the impression of consciousness is, is one of them. And studies have shown that if you were to scan a brain when somebody is having a thought, the fact that a thought can be isolated to a number of electrical stimuli or endocrine chemical reactions happens before our sense of self even recognizes that we're having that thought, that the sense of self and the fact that we're thinking is a shadow on the wall of the actual thinking process that is happening on our behalf. Yeah, basically what you're describing is is scientific experiments where the machines that you're hooked up to know what you're going to think and feel before, quote unquote, you do. Yeah, we're always trying to search for the controller in our brain, but we can't find him. All we can find are various control rooms, and and this is maybe one of the topics that that we can get into after the break. A lot of concepts of consciousness appear to be the momentary configuration, the um, the uh, the the emergent property of what we think of as ourself, which only exists in that split second when we're evaluating it ourselves. Right. So I think that's called epiphenomalism. That's at least one 
version of epiphenomenalism. Right. When, when you see 400 starlings all flocking and moving in, in a rhythmic, coherent space, that swarm doesn't exist in any formal capacity other than the grouping of those individual starlings. There is no, there is no flock. It's right. only so the flock is representation of activities of these smaller subsystems. Right, but I think that my point to take your example of like we're able to look at the fMRI and see that a certain brain state has occurred before you even like have the thought or have the feeling. That still doesn't mean that that feeling is uh, reductive to. The physical stuff. They're t- still two different things. You use the word emergent, right? So those mental states are emerging from physical states, but they're still different. I think that's different from what Paco is saying, which is that, you know, the firing of C fibers in my arm is exactly the same as feeling pain in my arm. And the property dualism argument which I would argue is like you're, what you're talking about right now is a subset of that argument, is that when I feel pain, that's actually something distinct from C fibers firing. That's like a mental property, a mental state that sits on top of the physical state of C fibers firing. There's well, like this, there's a reductive version of that, which just says that, no, that's wrong. There are no mental states. C fibers firing and pain are exactly the same thing. I think that's wrong. Interesting. Then it's possible for those things to exist outside of the physical world? Uh, Or not, but they're still different. It's not that... It's not possible for them to exist without the physical world, but back to the zombies, it's possible, theoretically, for the physical world to exist without those things. It's It's another set of properties that sits on top of... This is the way that... People use this language a lot. The mental states sit on top of a technical term is supervene. The, the, the mental properties supervene on the physical properties. So they, they, the mental states can exist without the physical states, but they're not reducible to the physical states. They're a different thing. So, so just going back to the scientific evidence again. So just because we, we, we talk about, we've mentioned it before, this phrase unknowable. The idea that someone's internal mental yes. position, their their concept of self, is I like un- where you're going, is unknowable. Just because we have no objective ways to measure that, is there a thought that just because we haven't defined the scientific instrumentation to measure it, it exists in a, in a realm beyond that? Just because we haven't got the sufficient technology? Yeah, I mean, I also like where you're going with this because I, <laughs> I feel like it's it's where I head in my brain hypothetically in terms of like trying to to sort all this out, which is, I mean, one of the other arguments is it, you use another person's brain or use a bat's brain. We'll never be able to understand what it's like to be a to bat. Be a bat Thank right? you, or I'll Nagel. never understand what it's like to be Mark. Yeah. But you will, but you can understand all of the that's happening in Mark's brain at an atomic level. Like theoretically, if you had the computing power and the, and the, imaging technology you could understand what's happening exactly what's happening in mark's brain but that's different from how does mark feel right now but I, but but i think if you what's were, it like to be mark but i think if you were able to reproduce that i feel like if you were able to somehow like reconfigure my brain on a molecular level to be identical to mark's i would know what it would be like to be mark okay 
but you still yeah. say that that's not that that the my my mind would still be separate from the physical. My mind would be Mark's mind or a reproduction of it, but it would still be a layer on top of the physical. Correct. Because we can all observe, we can all observe what's happening in Mark's brain and agree that, oh, yes, this section of Mark's left temporal lobe is lighting up when I poke him in the eye. And we can all observe that and agree that that's what's happening. And assuming we're all sort of sufficiently informed about how to use the measurement devices and like whatever, like we're all going to agree on that. But it doesn't follow from that that any of us know what it's like to be Mark. I'm pretty sure mm. that you guys don't know what it's like to be me and that you could run all of the scientific experiments on me that you wanted to. Even with amazing future technology, you could run all of the experiments on my brain that you want to, and you're still not going to know what it's like to be me. Because if we were to do that now, we'd have to rely on like looking at that atom, then say, hey, Chad, how are you feeling right now? You'd be like, I'm cool. And then looking at another atom, how are you feeling now? I'm feeling sad. And then try to reproduce using the scientific method of, of looking at how that atom behaves or collection of atoms. And then still have to ask you for firsthand experience because there's no other way to get that information. Right. Out of you. But I think that even if I told you uh, when you like poke me in that part of my brain with a needle or whatever, I feel sad. Yeah. Like, you know, maybe my sad is different from your sad. Like you still don't know exactly what my experience is. But even if I don't know exactly what your experience is, how is that proof that it's not physical, that it's not part of the physical world, that it's something different? Well, it's... That's assuming that the, the, the physical world is only something that we can directly sample and understand. That's also like presupposing that that is an aspect of the physical world, which is just simply how we understand it based on like our tools to observe it and sample it. Like, will I ever know what it's like to be the sun? Well, no, because the sun doesn't have any emergent mental properties. Well, we also don't know that for sure. But Well, yeah, that's true. We don't. The sun could be like just waiting to blow up the <laughs> earth and being like, man, I cannot wait until I have the energy to explode well, and kill all of the I'm saying. But I, some, I, some, I, people, I, I, some people I, do I, argue that consciousness <laughs> is a product, as I think you said earlier. Uh, a result of complexity of organization right. of yeah. physical materials and that everything has a degree of consciousness. It's just that ours is like yeah, uh, Cory Doctor, better than a rock. Yeah, Cory Doctor was talking about how um, in the way that um, legally now companies can be recognized as individuals, that the corporations could be the future evolution as a species and we as humans are just the gut floor of that new <laughs> organism. That's lovely. Well, like, well um, in which case, like, the Supreme Court's in the right. Yeah. Um, okay, so I think we're going to go on like this for another hour if if, if we stay at it. Um, Wait, but, can we just clarify? Yeah. Does anyone – I I feel like we're all – I, I want to – so we started out with the – there there are kind of like three ways to resolve this, right? And I want to know, like, who's on which side. So there's this substance dualism, which is that there are two very different kinds of things in the world, minds and bodies, essentially, and that somehow, through some mysterious mechanism, they manage to interact with each other so that my mind can tell my body what to do, even though they're completely different kinds of things. Then there's this pro there's the property dualism view, which is that the world is physical. We can observe it. 
but the things in that physical world have two different kinds of properties, like purely physical properties and mental properties. And complex physical structures give rise to these mental properties. And this is kind of this emergent idea that once, you know, things get sufficiently complex, mental properties emerge from those collections of atoms or organisms, right? And then there's this third view, which is the the physicalism view, uh, which is that there's only one kind of thing, which is physical stuff. And you're just like, abusing language and like falling back on old outdated concepts when you talk about mental properties and that really feeling pain when you say oh that hurt you're that really just means c fibers in a certain part of my body were activated by some external stimuli i'm going with property dualism yeah i'm i'm going with physicalism Mark? I'll go with the dualism. I, I'm actually going to switch to dualism. I think that that... Wait, that, you, which dualism? Property dualism yeah, or substance dualism? Substance dualism. Really? Yeah. Really? You guys are going back to like the 17th no, century. No, I meant, I meant property dualism. You are? Okay. So yeah. I think that there are two very different kinds of things. Magic. Magic and physics. And we just don't understand how magic and physics interact with each other yet what what did arthur c clark say arthur among other things and this may be the quote that you're thinking of arthur c clark and i'm paraphrasing paraphrasing here said that any technology sufficiently advanced would appear magical indistinguishable from magic right yeah i I think we i think the substance dualism um falls down where the the biggest proof point that a lot of people bring up is an, a more of a, a linguistic and a, a logical fallacy of, well, pro- prove prove that isn't the case. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which is unfortunate <laughs> and more of a discussion on the, uh, uh, the the logical statement of how you get to an answer rather than the actual true nature of that, that conceit. Yeah. I mean, again, so much of this stuff comes back to language and w- what a inaccurate unspecific open to interpretation construct languages and actually one of the things that i want to talk about after the break kind of folds back into the idea that language emerges from the same part of the brain that is causing this argument in this debate right now and that the construct of language subject verb like all that stuff is based on the same part of our brain that tries to model what's going on in the world which is what leads to consciousness but it's all physical i can't wait to get to that second half okay yeah let's get there now okay we're gonna take a quick break and we'll be right back hey everyone it's mark we just wanted to take a few seconds and thank everyone for listening and if you're enjoying the show so far there's something we'd like to ask you to do to help us out head over to itunes and give us a review And while you're there, don't forget to subscribe to the show. Ratings, reviews, and subscriptions are the main factors that determine whether we get noticed and the podcast becomes a weekly fixture in your ears. We'd really appreciate the support. Now back to the show. 
All right, welcome back. In the second half of the show, uh, we really just want to talk about some things that we came across, stories, anecdotes, and whatnot, as we were digging into the mind-body problem. Uh, Mark, I think you had something you wanted to bring to the table. Yeah, so on the uh, the concept we, we brought up, that I brought up, of talking about how consciousness may be purely an evolutionary side effect of other facets of a, an overly complex brain that humans have evolved for social interaction and, you know, survival over the, over the millennia. There's the idea, the uh, thought experiment, if you will, of the Chinese box. Are you familiar with the Chinese box? No. no. So, it's like um, a Chinese finger trap. It's kind of so. Like uh, you, your job is to work in this in this box. It's a large opaque box. Um, it's a large room, in fact, and there's a small slot in the front. And inside this this room, you have all of these. So nothing like a Chinese finger trap. <laughs> no, so nothing like a Chinese finger trap. <laughs> all right, you're working in this box. It's got a slot in the yeah, front. It's, it's opaque. So so from the outside, um, someone can come up to this to this box and then uh, write. The, you know, this is in China, so the person will write down uh, a question in Chinese on a piece of paper and slip it through this slot. You work inside this Chinese box, uh, un- unbeknownst to the person on the outside. They don't. This is a completely o- opaque um, solution to their 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 question interface. Uh, you don't speak Chinese. Uh, as the question comes in that's written down in this this language, which is unintelligible to you, you look through this large ledger that breaks down the characters symbol by symbol and then instructs you in this large instruction book to go to the back and then pull out various note cards based on the instructions of, of which um, uh, symbol corresponds to which output. Then you painstakingly copy, without any knowledge of the language, the uh, the configuration of what this large instruction uh, book tells you should be the response to certain inputs that have been given. So on the outside uh, of the box, the person receives uh, a response to their input, which they believe is a uh, coherent, cogent response to their, their question that they expressed in, in their own natural language. They believe the box is thinking. They believe the box, because it gives them a thoughtful response, is thinking. On the inside of the box, you as a, as a, a operator of this box have no idea what's going on. You're just going through a mechanical set of processes. Is the box thinking? Is this just like the touring problem, but cooler because it's called the Chinese box? Yes. Well, but... <laughs> and there's a person inside as opposed to a computer. Yeah. But the, sure. the person could be represented as a computer because they're just carrying out instructions that have been demarcated in advance for them based on different stimuli. So is there is there any thinking going on if you just if the, if it, the box is just churning through these 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 uh, these predefined preset processes? No, I mean I guess this just gets back to the whole language thing and what the definition of thinking is. I definitely think that like in some way that box is more conscious than a computer would be because there's a human being inside of it with a consciousness. Except that the human being doesn't have any input; like they're just following instructions. They don't know what the Chinese symbols mean, and they have no ability to veer off from the list of instructions in this large ledger that's in front of them. This is the zombie problem, again, right? From the outside, to an outside observer, there could be a computer in the box, or there could be a person in the box, but to the person inside the box, like, that that person's probably bored, for example. Like, they have some mental states. Boredom. Boredom, mostly, M- and confusion. <laughs> but, but it's, but it's not... probably hungry, too, because you didn't put any food in there. I mean, yeah. they probably have some sweet vending machines, because yeah. it's... You, you think of, you, no, you're it's Asian? Japan. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was just thinking... Yeah, I was just thinking, like, workplace. Like, okay, okay. 
Mm. So I, I got one other, uh, one other thought that I want to bring to the table, uh, and this is an explanation around consciousness and, and what it means and the separation between the physical and the ethereal states that was brought up in a novel by uh, Neil Stevenson. So hopefully this get, gets through the, um, the science fiction gates uh, that Chad has put on this, this, this project. Uh, Neil Stevenson wrote a book <laughs> called uh, Anathem which is supposedly, you know, a sci-fi novel about this alternate society. And they get into a lot of philosophical topics, but one of them, um, it's more of like a throwaway anecdote, is the belief that um, in a multiverse where, again, in the the alternate reality parallel universe idea, um, uh, there is another version of you. But this goes one step further to say that in in an infinite universe, an infinite set of multiverses, um, there's an infinite number of of experiences that your uh, the neurons and the electrons firing in your brain could be happening at any given time, and at the quantum level, we are just having an insight in a, a spectrum that is that is beyond the the realms of our you know our clockwork Newtonian world that we're able to seize upon some variation of what those those ideas are manifesting as a result of those chemical and electrical charges at the quantum level. Um, based on the fact that every variation is happening across every version of, of, of every universe. And we're just interpreting that as thoughts existing in a certain realm. Yeah, this is why I've read like two of his books, is because so many of them go so hard into areas that my brain can't keep up with. Your brain or your mind? My brain. <laughs> <laughs> So the other thing um, that I came across, I mean, I I think a lot of the stuff that we came across while we were looking into this topic, all kind of, at least that's interesting, but not like specifically related to the debate of dualism, all has to do with consciousness because that's part of the core discussion in dualism, you know, comes out of the concept or the sensation that we have of being conscious. So interestingly enough, I came across this article on Vice. So since it's on Vice, even though it has to do with really interesting things about consciousness, it also has to have vibrators in it. Yeah. So it starts out like it's 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 this interview that they do. I can't um, wait to see where this with is this going. with this professor. <laughs> well, I mean, like it could have electric toothbrush in it, but it's on Vice, so it's right. going to have vibrators. vibrators how, yeah. how hot was this professor? There <laughs> <laughs> weren't photos. So um, it kind of starts out with this experiment, not a thought experiment, but a physical experiment where. One person puts their finger on the tip of their nose. Yeah. And then another person puts this vibrator, which, again, could be an electric toothbrush. Can we do this experiment right we, now? Uh, well, you either need an electric toothbrush or a vibrator. We've got <laughs> That's electric, the question I'm asking. Yeah, we've got, an, <laughs> we've got an electric toothbrush. L- listeners, we are at Packer's <laughs> house. Yeah. Um, I just bought my youngest daughter a Spider-Man electric toothbrush, so uh, we can try it out. Like, I actually tried this before you guys came over, but I think it requires two people because you can't be holding the toothbrush. Yourself. Okay, so let's so you touch So you touch your nose. Yeah. Person A touches their finger to their nose. Person B puts the electric toothbrush on this tendon where your bicep connects to your elbow, and you also have to, the person touching the nose closes their eye. So what happens is the vibration of that electric toothbrush on that tendon makes your brain think that your hand is further away from your head than it actually is. And your brain is trying to construct a model of the world that makes sense. And so it's saying, I know my finger's touching my nose, but I also believe due to this extra stimuli that my hand is really far away from my nose. 
So what happens is your brain goes, man, my nose is like two feet long. No, I thought your finger was going to get longer. No. Well, either yeah. way, that's yeah. weird, right? <laughs> so it like, again, it's vice. So they're like, all right, we got to have some SEO around the word vibrator in right, 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 or right. something. So that's, that, that's their lead into this interview with Princeton U- University neuroscientist Michael Graziano, who has this really cool theory that's called attention schema theory. So the reason that they lead in with that whole story about touching your nose and putting a vibrator on your elbow and making your nose seem like it's two feet long is because his description or his theory about where consciousness comes from comes out of the fact that your brain is constantly trying to model its environment and constantly trying to model you as part of the environment. So your brain's trying to model proprioception, like the idea of how your body exists in space. So when you touch your nose and then you add extra stimuli to a specific part in your elbow and it makes your hand, your brain think your hands further away from your nose, your mind is trying to model all those things and like the model breaks. And so it's just like your nose is really long. So he takes this basically like he says that the, your consciousness and specifically the idea of self-awareness and the mind comes from your brain trying to model itself because Mm -hmm. in every instance like if you're one of the things he talks about is like you eating a sandwich and in that situation Mm. your brain is modeling everything it knows about that sandwich what kind of sandwich um it's a turkey sandwich with some fresh avocado and bacon I don't know. Like, listeners, you, we are recording in California. I don't know if you're a vegetarian or not. Like, whatever the most, it doesn't matter. It's either the most delicious or most repulsive sandwich you've ever held. Your okay. brain is modeling everything that it knows about that sandwich, but also everything that it knows about you. And that we happen to have brains that have evolved to be complex enough that your brain, the physical thing that is your brain, is modeling itself. It's modeling the fact that it's modeling the environment constantly, and it becomes like this this reflective thing, like two mirrors facing each other where your brain is modeling yourself to the point where consciousness. Yeah. That sounds like emergent. Emergent. Mental, of, yeah. Yeah. Emergent can, can, mental properties. Can I bring up a, a, Douglas, That's very... Adam, a Douglas Adams quote um, in uh, the, one of his Doug Gently books? Um, uh, there's a professor, Kronotis, who has a computer, which is more powerful than all of the computers in the world put together, including itself. Whoa. Yeah. So I think the answer to all of these problems about like whether or not the mind and the body are two different things is 42. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but you earlier were taking the physicalism route. And now it sounds like you're saying that sufficiently complex systems like the brain are modeling themselves and that these mental properties are emerging, that there is a difference between what's happening in the single cell bacteria and the human brain, that these states are emerging, these modeled states are emerging from these complex systems. I think there's a difference between what's happening in our brains and what's happening in a single cell organism, I, but I, I think that it's all physical. 
I, so I, I would go back, yeah, go back to the property dualism point, and I think that reflects the fact that our idea of consciousness is a side effect of other skills that our brain has developed in order to survive. The idea that our brains are modeling devices is the reason why, as a species, we've succeeded is because we can model the outcomes of events without having to actually engage with them. We're able to use our imagination from the point of view of, of being hunter-gatherers. Uh, of being able to, you know, recognize other people from our tribes and engage in those parts of the brain that are more targeted towards those features that have been successful for us. And that modeling and that pattern matching is one of the, the core precepts that's created our, our, our growth and our, uh, the complexity right. that's got us to where we are today. Well, my brain is starting to model what it would be like for this podcast to end, so I think we should sort of wrap it up. As always, you can find us online at yougotitallwrong.net, where you can find show notes for today's episode. You can also send us an email to feedback at yougotitallwrong.net with questions, comments, or recommendations for show topics. Don't forget to subscribe to the show and give us a rating in iTunes. And you can also follow us on Twitter. I'm at Paco Allen. I'm at Chad Allen. And I'm at M. Saunders. <laughs>